0: I sure am glad to be here today. I'm sure glad you're here. I'm sure glad God has gifted Mark and Megan in a way that they can lead us on Sunday mornings for the next several weeks. I'm sure glad God has gifted each of you with gifts that can be used in the body from welcoming people to greeting people as they come in, to sharing with the body of Christ, to opening your homes for Bible study. I sure am glad of those things those things. I'm glad for this body of believers, for the vine that we call our church home this morning, this body serving. I'm, I'm, I sure am glad that I'm serving with Pastor Andy. It has been a great joy to serve with him. Uh, I am sure that Julia Jones is the love of my life. Last week we made 10 years together, married and uh, I am sure that these have been the best ten years of my life. And I am sure that I love those three kids just as much as I could love anyone in the world. I am sure of these things in my life. And I am sure this morning that there are things in your life that you're sure of. There's also things that I was sure of that actually never came to pass. Uh, I was sure that I would always be athletic. I was sure that I would go play college football and at least have a chance at playing professional football. However, Zoe, if that didn't work out, I was sure there was a place for me in the NBA (laughs) because basketball was really my sport. There are so many things that we are sure today of that have only been confirmed in our life or some things that we were sure of that have, have been have been brought to the light that weren't really a a reality in our lives. Today I want us to look at our sure calling as Christians. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1. These next several weeks we're going to be walking through the book of of 2 Peter. And and, and this morning as we look at, at our sure calling as Christians, I hope that when we're done you'll have a confidence in Christ's finished work on the cross. To secure your salvation and that you will continue to make your calling and election sure as we'll read about in a few minutes. So 2 Peter chapter 1 reads this way. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. That he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There are namely two things that I want us to see in this passage. First is that we have a new identity in Christ as Christians through the justification that comes from faith in Jesus Christ. We have a new identity. second thing I want us to see is that we have a continuing transformation in Christ through sanctification. He justifies us and he sanctifies us. We are born again, we have a new identity, and he grows us in that. We don't stay the same. And so first, let's look at this new identity that he's given us. Now, we see implications of a salvation uh, that changes our lives in the very introduction to this book. The very first words of it. Peter begins by saying, Simon Peter, a servant or slave, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So he, he begins with this simple self identification Simon Peter, a bond servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, if you follow Peter's life in the Gospels and in Acts, then you know that Peter always took the right path. He always said the right things. He was, his life was easy, and now he's, the, uh, he's an, a famous author, and not, not exactly right. It's not exactly how Peter's life went. This former fisherman, now apostle, uh, there, were, there were many highs and lows in his life. From leaving his illustrious career as a world-renowned fisherman and following Jesus, to, Jesus uh, to, to trying to gain position with Jesus for personal gain. From saying that Jesus is the Messiah to trying to talk Jesus out of the cross in which Jesus told him, get behind me, Satan. From saying that he would never deny Jesus to denying Jesus three times. From running away scared to running to the tomb and seeing the resurrected Lord. From going back to fishing to being restored by Jesus at the breakfast table on the shore. Peter's life was filled with ups and downs. And uh, now humbling, writing this passage after preaching at Pentecost and seeing thousands come to Christ, Peter had an incredible journey. At one point, He was just an ordinary fisherman, almost reminds us of life's journey with just the first two words of his letter, Simon, his birth name, and Peter, the name Jesus gave him with his new identity. And so we see that Peter's life, and he's he's explaining this to us just by saying his name, Simon Peter, a fisherman, now apostle. He's got a new identity. Christ has changed his life. He continues with his humble yet authoritative introduction by calling himself a servant-slash-slave and an apostle of Jesus Christ. In this short short self-examination of himself, Peter calls himself the lowest of living in society, a slave to the most elevated office, say that of Jesus Christ, in the church. From a slave to an apostle. Now, this, this idea of slavery, our translation this morning reads servant, but that's the Greek word doulos there, which is a slave, a bondservant. It's, a, it's someone who is in slavery to someone else. This this is common throughout the New Testament writers. Uh, a lot of them introduce themselves. Paul calls himself a slave of Christ and a slave to righteousness. We see James introduces his book, calling himself a slave. And Jude also introduces his book, calling himself a slave or bondservant of Christ. Now, James and Jude kind of have an interesting story to go along with that. They were, they were more than likely, these were the half-brothers of Jesus, right? So... Children, if you have brothers and sisters, can you imagine your older brother being your master? Can you imagine saying to them, I am your slave? That was the relationship that these guys had. That's the humility that Peter is showing here, this idea that he is a slave of Christ. Peter knew his identity, and so must we. The idea of slavery extends to everyone purchased by Christ. We are bondservants of Christ. Now, the supreme irony of, uh, of this comes that Jesus has actually come to set us free from slavery. right? Free from slavery to sin. And he tells us, therefore, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So, those who are delivered from slavery to sin, we take on a new kind of slavery. We become slaves of Christ. He is Lord in our lives, He is our master. This morning, if if you find yourself having a hard time saying that you're a slave to Christ, yet you think you're free, indeed, your slavery is great. We are slaves to him. See, the scripture tells us we must lose our lives to find them. We must uh, give our lives away to get them back. All of that is is, and more is found in Peter's simple self-designation here. Peter also not only calls himself a slave, but he says, I'm an apostle. Now, apostleship is the, the highest office you could hold in the in the early church. This this claim would let readers know and, and us know that this was a message to be heard, a message with authority. This wasn't just anybody talking. This was someone who walked with Jesus. We don't use that term very often anymore to, to designate people. There are no new apostles. No one else is walking literally with Jesus on the earth uh, in a physical form now. The apostleship has, has been closed. These guys... Are over and done with and, uh, and so we don't use that term as much but here the readers would have known this was a man who walked with Jesus this was a man who Jesus anointed gave authority to to go out and preach and teach to to do the things that he did he said you will do the same things I do and greater things that you will do and so this is a message to be heard and so he speaks to his readers what does he what does he tell them who, who are these readers look at verse one To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. To those who have received or obtained a a faith, a precious faith of equal standing. These are believers. More more than likely Jews and Gentiles, mainly Gentiles, uh, who had received faith from God. They were saved people. Now, when it comes to the faith that's mentioned here, it's, it's not likely talking about that you've received a faith as in the faith. We're all part of the faith. But it's a personal faith. It's this idea of having a very personal faith. And so uh, the idea of receiving this faith is that it's a gift. We've received faith from God. Your new identity is initiated by faith that is given to you by God. When we accept the finished work of Christ on our behalf, we act by faith that is supplied by his abundant grace. Ephesians 2 8 9. Follow with me here. For by grace you have been saved through what? Faith. And this is not your own doing. So it's not that you mustered up enough faith, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Your faith is not even a work. Salvation is God's work. He is the one who enlightened you. You didn't wake up and figure it out one day. I want to be encouraging to you this morning. You are depraved. (laughs) I am depraved. We are messed up. Apart from God breathing life into us, we would continue to walk in darkness. So this morning we see that these are people who received faith. They obtained faith. How? God gave it to them. So said, we are dead, and God breathes life into us. We were lost, and now we are found. We were far away, and God has brought us near. He has done this work, giving us this new identity. It's the work of God. Left to ourselves, we'd still be dead. Listen, when a person chokes or drowns, and they stop breathing, there is nothing they can do. Apart from someone uh, else starting them breathing again, they will never breathe. They are dead. A person who is spiritually dead can't even make a decision of faith unless God first breathes life into him. The breath of spiritual life. So God is doing this work of salvation. He is, he is granting life. He is granting life. He's giving life. These readers, and, and by implication us, have received a new identity the same way Peter did. By receiving the gift of God through the righteousness of Christ. Do you see his righteousness in verse 1 there? A faith equals, uh, of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. We are made righteous because of His righteousness. This is justification. He gives us faith. We trust Him. And in that act, we become righteous. The scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might be the righteousness of God. We are justified through faith in Christ. So we are given this righteousness that comes from God. Justification is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for God's glory alone. And everybody said, Amen. "Amen." That's what the scripture teaches. It's by grace alone. We have a new identity. So what comes with this new identity? What comes with this great salvation that God has brought to us? Remember Peter said he's caused you to be born again to a living hope in First Peter? And now we see he continues this, and uh, this continuing transformation, this sanctification of those who he breathes life into. He doesn't just breathe life into you and then just let you sit there. He constantly changes you. He sanctifies you. Look at verse 2. It says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Savior and our And of Jesus our Lord. This word knowledge here, grace, peace, multiply you in the knowledge, is is not the ordinary word for knowledge. It's not gnosis, it's epinosis, which would actually denote here that it's a very personal knowledge. It's not just. I know about Jesus. I know a little bit about Jesus. But there's an intimate relationship here. There's, there's more knowing than just a head knowledge. It's a, it's a heart knowledge. I know that's probably cliche in a lot of Christian circles. But it's a good, good illustration here. It's a, it's a heart knowledge. It's knowing with more than just your mind. It's knowing with all of who you are. This idea that we have this knowledge in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 3 and 4. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he's granted us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is the world uh, because of sinful not uh, sinful desires. A seed has been planted in your life and is now growing. You know, if if you don't if you don't hear anything else, hear this. Christians grow. That's a, that's a good simple truth from this. Christians grow. They, they develop. They do not stagnate. Not according to Scripture. Christians always move forward in their relationship with God. Is it constant? Is it always? Absolutely. Do they make mistakes? Do they have setbacks? For sure. But there's a progression. And we're going to see that in just a few minutes as well. So, But I, I want to make this clear. God doesn't just plant a spiritual seed that we ourselves need to water and cultivate in our own strength in order to develop into a fruitful Christian life. God provides, look at, I love this verse, verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. God provides everything we need to live for His glory. He, He provides the seed and the sunlight. He provides the hoe and the harvesting tools. He does it all. He has supplied it. Now, there's no excuse to be passive in the Christian life or to sit idly by and just pretend that God is is controlling you. There's no, there's no excuse to sit idly by. While God provides everything necessary, we still must act. We are still called to action. The fact that we must use the power that God has given us in no way negates that God is completely responsible for the cause and effects. Paul illustrates this beautifully in 1 Corinthians. Listen to what he says about him and Apollos. He said, I planted and Apollos watered but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. Did you catch that? Paul and Paulus were active, not passive. They were doing real work. And had they not participated in the work or the ministry, growth would not have occurred. Yet at the same time, Paul acknowledged that God was causing the growth. God was at work. Inside of them. Listen, that verse, God supplies everything you need for life and godliness. I want you to take a deep breath. God just filled your lungs. He's provided everything that you need for life and for godliness. Your very breath is His. He goes on in verse 4. By which He has granted us His precious and very great promises. What, what are these promises? Well, these are all the things that were in His Word that were coming in the Messiah. All these great promises that the people had been looking for, that someone would come and save them from oppression and from sin and from, and from all these different things. All those promises are fulfilled in Christ. It's here. The time has come. The promises are fulfilled. Amen? Amen. God has given us life. He's given us new birth. And so we have these great promises. You are now a partaker in the divine nature. You were a slave to sin and walking in your sin nature, but you have been made alive in Christ and God has put His super on your natural. He has worked in such a way that now you are changed forevermore. Those promises that He would fill you with His Spirit. It's here. The Spirit of God comes and dwells in believers' lives. It's here. The promises of old are here. Look at verses 5 through 7. We finally get to a command here. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. The command there is to supplement your faith. Now, This is not a formula to appease God. But you have been born again to do these things. The life of a Christian should be clearly different from that of the world. And he gives us a list. And it's not an exhaustive list. But it's a great list. These are things that that a life of a Christian... These are qualities that are, first of all, in verse 8, they are yours and are increasing. Right? Now, I know... I know and I love most of you more today than I ever have in my entire life. We've spent more time together. We're growing as a body of believers. I have a different perspective of each of you. And it's good. Amen? And we're growing and it's increasing. And these things ought to be increasing in our lives. Listen, I can say with confidence that I have more faith today than I've ever had. That is something that God has grown me in my life. I am more virtuous now I am so virtuous that I can say that in humility. I'm serious right now. I don't feel bad for saying I'm virtuous. Why? Because God has done a work in my life. I'm not perfect, but I'm more virtuous now than I've ever been. I have more knowledge than I've ever had. Marriage and children will do that to you. Amen. All right, moving on. I have more self-control than I've ever had. Listen, maybe that just comes with age. The older I get, the less stupid things I do. It's just, I mean, it's just natural. This is ever-increasing in my life, right? I have more steadfastness. You can count on me more today than you probably ever could have. I'm more godly now than I've ever been. I have more brotherly affection. I've learned to love the brothers, even when they're not lovely. I've grown in love. Now, again, this is not some formula to appease God. These are things that should ever be increasing in the Christian's life. And so so they're ours and they are increasing. Secondly, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful. And you want to be an effective Christian, do these things. Stop, st- listen, stop whining and worrying about all the other stuff. Start living the gospel. He's given you everything you need for life and godliness. Everything. It's right at your hands. He's given to you. And so the reality is we must walk in it. We must walk in these things that are ours. They belong to us. These virtues should be ever increasing. And and you want to be fruitful? Start loving people more. Start practicing more self-control. Have more knowledge. And listen, you've got the power to do it. We're going to get to that in just a few minutes. Now, I believe that these verses are very closely tied to something that many Christians struggle with at some point in their lives, if not regularly. And that is the assurance of salvation. At some point, I think all believers have a moment where they struggle with whether or not they really are saved or not. Whether or not God really did a work in their life. And I believe we see that implied here in verses uh, 8, 9, and 10. For if these qualities are yours, they're increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. So verse 9 and 10, when our when our lives do not look like this list mentioned, that's when doubt can come in. When we're not practicing these things in our lives, that's when this struggle with, man, am I even saved, comes in. When these qualities aren't increasing, in our lives. That's why in verse 10 it says we must be diligent to make our calling and election sure. For if you practice these things, you will never fall. You'll never fall perhaps into doubt. Now, I don't want you to get the idea that we're helping God firm up our salvation. That's not what it means by making your election or calling sure. We are simply proving through faithful obedience to Christ that we have been called and we have been elected. It's proof of our salvation. So these things should be ever growing and increasing in our lives. If not this morning, take a moment. How do you feel? It makes you wonder, doesn't it? So Christians, Christians may struggle with that. But that's why Peter goes on to remind them in verse 12, which we didn't read, we're going to get into next week more. He said, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. We need to be continually reminded of this, this idea of what God has done in our lives. Finally, we also see here that Christians will persevere. It says you will not fall in verse 11. Look, I love this. Verse 11, check this out. At the end of verse 10, you will not fall, for in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Here's another fact about Christians. Born-again Christians will persevere to the end. They will not fall. These virtues will continually grow in them, and they will not fall, and they will enter into the kingdom of God. To his eternal kingdom. Amen. We have a sure and steady home in heaven. So. I want to close with a little bit of a technical lesson for us. Because I think this will bring it all together today. Follow me if you will. There is an overarching principle. uh, That we need in our Christian life. That will help us interpret and apply scriptures. Especially scriptures like this we must understand the principle of the distinction between indicatives and imperatives in the scripture. Now don't tune me out. Listen for a minute. An indicative, basically, uh, this is a platform. That's an indicative, indicating this is a platform. An imperative is a command. Come up to the platform. Right? The indicatives in scripture talk about who we are in Christ. The imperatives talk to us about what we're to do in Christ. Now, here's what we have to realize. People in our culture, in all all cultures, are hardwired towards a works righteousness. Towards a righteousness that they earn on their own, especially in our culture. I mean, we're a culture who catechizes phrases like, I need to pull myself up by my own bootstraps, or I did it my way. I'm looking out for number. I'm just worried about me, myself, and Sounds like you guys know our culture. <laughs> That's the culture we live in. We are hardwired towards works righteousness, towards independence, not justification by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. We are not hardwired for that. We don't get that. So because we are hardwired towards works righteousness, here's what we have a tendency to do. We have a tendency to look for the imperatives in a passage, the commands in Scripture, so that we can go back and work harder at them appeasing God and somehow building our resume up. But folks, that's that's what we try to do. And, and if, if we're not careful, we'll look at the Christian life as striving to do better to please God. And we hear a sermon like that we need to be increasing in all these things, and we think, I need to go home and improve these things or I'm not really saved. That's not what this passage is saying. So whenever we see imperatives in Scripture then we always see indicatives right along with them. You don't see in 1 Peter, Be ye holy as I am holy, unless you see that we are declared to be a holy nation. You are a holy nation. Therefore, be holy as I am holy. The indicative, this is who you are in Christ. The imperative, this is what you should do in Christ. You do what you are called to do because you are who you are called to be. Are you following with me? So what's the power for you and me. To do the imperatives. Where's the power? Well the power is to believe in the indicatives. To, to believe who you are in Christ. If we spend all our time telling people the do's and don'ts. The imperatives. And we don't get them to the indicatives. Then we do two things. Number one. We strengthen their works righteousness muscle. Or number two. We're robbing them of the very power they must have to go and do what they're getting ready to go and do. What does this have to do with our passage? Well, there's no exception. Verse 3 and 4 have no verb. There's no imperative in in that passage. Only indicatives. He has given you divine power, everything you need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called you to his own glory. By which he granted to us precious, very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of the sinful desire. Here's the command. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. Supplement your faith. Supplement. There's the command. Supplement your faith. But folks, you can't do that on your own. You can only do that because you have, verse 3, received divine power. You have been given a new identity so that you can live the life that God's called you to live. The power is in who Christ has called you as a Christian. You have the righteousness of Christ. So when you hear a preacher, you hear us get up and say, you need to live like this, you need to live like this. It's not because you need to muscle up enough strength so that you can be or do. It's because of who you are that you reflect the nature of God. You reflect the righteousness of God. Now, if we look at the imperative, especially in light of verse 10, that says to make your calling and election sure, we will find ourselves undermining the power that has been given to us to do the very things commanded. You have faith and virtue with knowledge and self-control. You can grow in steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection and love because of Christ's finished work on the cross. So today, let me ask. Have you experienced that? Or have you spent your life trying to do and do and do without ever being first? You'll never make it on your own righteousness. If you could, then there would have never been a sacrifice that needed to be made. But Christ is our only hope. You can be a slave of sin or you can be a slave of Christ. This morning, our prayers that God is moving in your life. If you've never experienced life in Christ, may God grant you eternal life today. May He awaken your spirit and give you new life. If you have new life, you're not, you don't have to please God. You don't have to try to please God. Live the Christian life. You have the power, everything you need to walk in His ways. Set your finger.